Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. I did not write that anonymous op-ed. <laughs> That's what everybody in the White House is saying right now, trying to prove to Donald Trump they didn't write it. Yeah, but one of them is lying. And uh, some of the others are lying, too, because they know who did. And they probably wish they had. Hey, what do you say, folks? It's a Friday. Happy Friday here, Friday, September 7th. Good to see you today on the Bill Press Show, and good to have you part of the program. Uh, the Kavanaugh hearing, as far as questioning goes, kind of winding up yesterday, and now it is the opposition witnesses that take the stand uh, for and against the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, another very lively day yesterday with lots of exchanges about reproductive rights, pardon me, lots of continued fighting not fighting back and forth, tussling over uh, documents uh, and emails, uh, and uh, Democrats really putting Brett Kavanaugh on the spot on several issues, and he still refuses to answer the questions about presidential power and how much he would support a president uh, uh, against having to obey a subpoena or even sitting down with a special counsel. It is another big day also in terms of re reaction to that op-ed in the uh, New York Times where dozens of White House aides stepping forward to say, no, 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 it wasn't me, it wasn't me, I'm not the one who wrote it. Uh, we will find out sooner or later. <laughs> uh, but it is troubling what the, what the report reveals about the need some people feel inside the White House to resist and to the, the president and prevent him from doing more damage than he's already done. Send us your comments on all of the above and more on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so Alex Jones has uh, had a couple of rough couple of weeks, right? Like, he got some of his stuff taken down off of Facebook. 
There's this whole hearing going on about whether or not they're shadow banning conservatives like Alex Jones. Well, yesterday, Twitter made it official. Alex Jones has been permanently banned from Twitter. And it's not just Alex Jones. It's all of the InfoWars accounts. So he has InfoWars. That's his sort of broadcast medium. It lives online. And they said that not only can Alex Jones no longer have a Twitter account, InfoWars can no longer have a Twitter account. The correspondence for InfoWars mm-hmm. will also be uh, suspended off of Twitter. But they said Alex Jones is never coming back to Twitter. How do you feel about that, Bill? I was just going to say, how should we feel about that? I know. I, you know, uh, I'm mixed. I don't like banning anybody. I just think he's such a pig and so hateful that people, I would hope anybody with half a brain would see the stuff that he puts out there and would just say, this guy's a total kook. I would say, uh, but uh, I, they certainly have a right to ban him. He, yeah, they do have a right to ban him. And one of the things that they point to is, as they, others have, sure, exactly. Uh, and other people have been banned from Twitter. He's not like the first guy to be permanently banned from Twitter. Right, but one of the things right. they pointed to specifically is that he's used that platform to encourage his followers to harass other people, and that goes directly against the policy of Twitter. Uh, and they see no redemption for Alex Jones. I don't think you should be able to use the Internet to uh, incite violence or hate acts, and that's what he's, exactly it, what he's that's done. That's what he's done, yeah. So uh, farewell. We will not miss you. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that the Academy Awards was changing the way that they did things for uh, some Best Picture nominees. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, it was, what they were doing is they had a popular Oscar category. So in other words, movies that made a lot of money but weren't necessarily mm-hmm. considered to be all that artistic would still be nominated for a Best Picture in a separate category called the Popular Picture category. Yesterday, they announced they're getting rid of it. They don't like it. It's done. It's not going to happen. So they're going to go really for quality or quantity? That's what they're going for. That's what they're going for. <laughs> you know what? Let's start with shortening the ceremony, <laughs> right? That'll bring the ratings back. This is the Bill Press Show. If I get impeached, it's your fault. That's what the president told a crowd out in Montana last night. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it seems to me we now have a good reason, even a better reason, I should say, to get out and vote this November because if he gets impeached, we can take credit for it. Thank you, Donald Trump, for that inspiration and motivation. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday, Friday, September 7. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to have you on board as we uh, rear up, uh, roar up here to cover all the uh, news of the day. Uh, whether it's the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, the latest reaction to that op-ed, or the president out in Montana last night, or a big victory for an establishment Democrat for a change in the state of Delaware, my home state. Great to see you today. Thanks so much again for being there, whether you are joining us online and so many of you do every day on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the podcast, just growing by leaps and bounds. Everyday podcasts are fun. That's where all the excitement is today. So uh, make our podcast uh, your daily stop as well. Uh, and don't way, forget to if, review if I, us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go go to BillPressShow.com or wherever you find your podcast, Bill Press Show. Sign up 
and review. And don't forget, we put the we put the show up every day right after the show. You get the whole show without the commercials. So if you're only able to listen to like the second half of the program, we put the whole yep. thing up. But also, uh, we're putting up weekend programming, including one that's going to go up this weekend, which is you reading an ex- excerpt from, from uh, your new book. Trump you wrote another book. Go. Yeah. Yes, indeed. comes out next week. So this is a, an advanced peak at Trump Moscow. More relevant now than ever. Oh, I'll say. <laughs> it's the one, two, three punch. One, Woodward book. Two, New York Times op-ed. Three, Bill Press book, Trump must go. Uh, so joining us online. But by the way, on the reviews, I just was checking the site the other day, and uh, there are a lot of really, uh, really five-star reviews for which we uh, thank you. So um, we're not we're not saying you have to be over the over the top with your reviews, but we do want to hear from you as to what you think about the show. Uh, also, good to have you with us on Free Speech TV, a very important time for Free Speech TV, and on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and of course all Chicago and all around Chicago on the great WCPT, the Progressive Voice of Chicago. Great to see you today and so much to talk about. Yes, indeed. Uh, Let's start with, yes, continued reaction (laughs) to that op-ed. As we talked about yesterday, and it is incredible, you must say. Just just getting arms around this is so tough. It's so, I, I should say, challenging because we've never seen anything like this before. And last evening, there was a town hall, a meeting of the White House Correspondents Association, those of us who cover the White House, um, who usually go to the briefings, except the Trump administration has stopped holding briefings. They haven't held a briefing this month. There was, What's going on with that, by the way? Um, they just don't like them. They say they don't like them because reporters shout questions at Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That's because she never answers a damn question, <laughs> right? And by the way, grow up, right? I mean, no. Uh, That's the job. Yes. Yeah. We don't shout questions if she takes the time to answer questions and doesn't try to get a briefing done in 10 minutes, half of which is spent yelling at people and then running out of there. So at any rate, my point was the topic last night was everybody was talking about how nobody in all the time they spent covering, covering the White House has ever seen anything like this when, in fact, there's a shadow White House that has emerged in this op-ed for the New York Times. Uh, one person who is not alone, because that person talks about unsung heroes and adults in the room. So there could be two, three, three, four, five, six. We don't know how many people who are right there, right there in the inner circle, right there, part of the Trump White House, who and, and who disagree with not all but disagree strongly with some of the president's policies are worried and fearful about some of the things that he might do uh, fear fear that name of that Woodward book and believe it is their mission rather than quit to save the country to save the American people from even more damage they believe it is their mission to stay there and thwart Donald Trump any way that he can. And we've seen concrete examples of it in the Michael Wolff book, in the uh, in the Bob Woodward book, and in this op-ed where he might say, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invade Venezuela. Or he'll say, hey, 
just go out and get somebody to assassinate Bashar al-Assad. Or let's nuke North Korea. Or maybe something a little less radical. Uh, let's just slap this tariff on autos and do it today and get it on my desk and sign it today. So various ways these people, they'll let Donald Trump rant and then they just ignore him. Or they'll steal documents before he can sign them. Or By the way, those aren't hypotheticals that you were throwing no, out. these those are, are things... real things that have happened. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, they sound insane when you say them, but they are things that have actually happened. And when you hear that, then you really have to have a mixed reaction because, no, none of us want government to work this way. This is not the way the president's, the White House should work, where you have staff undercutting the president. At the same time, when it's this president, we cannot, we all have to be, we may not like it, but at the same time, we got to be grateful that some of these people are there and are willing to, yeah, if they quit, that might be a noble thing to do. But then what the hell would Donald Trump be able to get away with? Were they not there? So it is a it is a mixed bag and a bag. But the funny part of it was <laughs> yesterday how they all lined up to say, ain't me, ain't me, ain't me. Uh all these ass kissers. The first one out of the box, of course, was Mike Pence, although it was still, I still have to say, it was significant that it took Mike Pence 48 hours before he said anything. <laughs> the excerpts from the Woodward book came out. We never heard a word from Mike Pence. The op-ed comes out. We never hear a word from Mike Pence. It was only early yesterday morning that he finally said, mm, maybe I'd better get out there and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and lie and say I didn't write it. No, I don't think he wrote it. Now, his chief of staff... Nick Ayers, maybe. He's one of the... So apparently the White House, there is a witch hunt. And they've made it very clear, by the way. They're not denying. There is a witch hunt going on inside the White House right now. It's a rigged witch hunt. (laughs) Exactly. Try to find out. And there are supposedly 12 people, suspects, on the list. We don't know who that list is. But we do know the list of people who have said... I did not write that op-ed. Now it's very interesting. Some of them not, Some of them say what's in the op-ed is wrong. Others just simply say I didn't write it. They they don't deny that that's exactly the way it is. Among those disavowing, listen to this list, <laughs> disavowing the White House the op-ed piece include they include Mike Pence. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was in India, and he sent out a statement from India that he didn't do it. Uh, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Kirsten Nielsen, Homeland Security Secretary, John Bolton, National Security Advisor, Dan Coates, Director of National Intelligence, the Secretary of Agriculture, Commerce, Education, (laughs) Energy, Health and Human Services, <laughs> Housing and Urban Development, Interior, Labor, Transportation, and Veterans Affairs, as well as the Director of the CIA, the Director of the FBI, Good grief. the President's Trade Representatives, the Acting Chief of the EPA, and his Ambassador to the United Nations and Ambassador to Russia. <laughs> God. Is there anybody left? <laughs> Notice. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not on the list. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. But that list is ludicrous. I mean, the fact that they all feel they have to get on record, including 
Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Whoever thought, I mean, since earlier, I've been in the Oval Office more more often than Ben Carson has. Yeah, yeah Ben Carson I mean, doesn't even know how to turn on his computer to write an op-ed like that. Donald Trump doesn't even know who Ben Carson is. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that black guy I appointed. What's right. his name? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> or or Rick Perry, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and Rick, Rick Perry pa- couldn't write that. Rick Perry couldn't write that. And, again, who cares what – how many top – Policy meetings? Do you think Rick Perry has been involved in since he's been in the White House? Right. But as as others point out, okay, so they all denied it. Well, you know, Mark Felt, deep throat, denied it for thirty years, and then he finally came out and said, "Yeah, it was me." So the, this doesn't mean anything. The denial doesn't mean anything. Uh, even Melania got into the act. Melania accused whoever wrote the uh, the uh, op-ed of uh, sabotage, uh, which is just one step short of what Donald Trump said it was, which is uh, treason. Uh, but Donald Trump, of course, uh, others talked about it yesterday. Um, uh, Paul Ryan, of course, saying uh, nothing as he n- always says. It's a person who obviously is living um, in dishonesty, that doesn't help the president. So if you're not interested in helping the president, you shouldn't work for the president. Yeah. How about helping the country, right? I mean, maybe that's a higher priority, Paul Ryan. And by the way, if Paul Ryan had any balls, people in the White House, White House staffers would not have to be the ones who were stopping Donald Trump from getting away with these acts. Exactly. You know, maybe if Congress showed any strength and any backbone, um, Donald Trump wouldn't get away with as much. Uh, but he knows, no, no, no matter what he does, that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell will stand behind him. Um, the, at the same time, uh, of course, Mike Pence. Mike Pence had to come out, and he did. Yes, is not the sound is not great, uh, but uh, this is just a smear on our great president. Anyone who would write an anonymous editorial smearing this president, who's provided extraordinary leadership for this country, should not be working for this administration. They ought to do the honorable thing, and they ought to resign. No, ought to resign. Just get out of there. But Bob Corker, the one who famously uh, said that um, the adult daycare center down at the White House was too bad somebody missed their shift one morning, Bob Corker says, yeah, what I hear from this uh, uh, Woodward book and what I hear from the op-ed is uh, that's exactly the way it is. Anyone who's had any dealings with the White House knows this is exactly the way things have been from day one and are today. Uh, and the president last night, he had to talk about it, too. Uh, this is, yeah, there's only one problem uh, with Donald Trump talking about it is that the op-ed was written anonymously. Uh, anonymously, that's a, a lot of syllables for Donald Trump. The latest act of resistance is the op-ed published in the failing New York Times by an anonymous, really an anonymous, <laughs> gutless coward. What was that one more time? Let's hear it an again. An anonymous, what? What? really an anonymous. So if I you hear know what? correctly. If we, if we didn't know that he didn't drink, right? I yeah. Mean, Boy, does he sound like a drug slurring his words. What I love there is he completely screws up anonymous on the and first then, go round. Yeah, and then and then he changes it to an ominous. 
An enormous, really an enormous, an <laughs> what <laughs> is happening with his brain? Uh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> and he says, this now is a matter of national security. And the New York Times has to publish these names. But for the sake of our national security, <laughs> the New York Times should publish his name at once. I think their reporters should go and investigate who it is. That would actually be a good scoop. By the way, his, we don't know for sure it was a man. Uh, but at any rate, no, this is not a matter of national security. I mean, come on. You can, <laughs> I mean, those protesters we see in front of the White House every day, the, the security of the nation is not threatened by people criticizing uh, or disagreeing with the uh, with the president of the United States. But the search for the author of this has gotten so intense inside the White House. Get this. We talked a little bit yesterday about the word Lodestar and the fact that Lodestar comes up in this. And who uses Lodestar? Well, Mike Pence uses it all the time. But, of course, Mike Pence denies it. So now, get this. <laughs> this is like that. They called a, they hired a private investigator. Somebody remembered <clears throat> that at the memorial service for John McCain last Saturday, Henry Kissinger used the word lodestar. <laughs> uh, Henry, <laughs> yes, Henry Kissinger said that honor was John McCain's lodestar. So now they're looking at who was at the cathedral and might have heard that word and picked it up and used it. And who was there? John Kelly was there. John Bolton was there. Ivanka and Jared were there. John Huntsman was there. And Dan Coates was there. So, I mean, this, this is how bizarre it's gotten. Yeah. Whoever did it, whoever did it, I believe... Uh, deserves a medal of honor, and uh, I value them for staying there on the job. I just wish they didn't have to do it. I wish we had a president that we could uh, count on, uh, but we don't. Uh, and uh, but uh, if if indeed um, we do the right thing in November, um, maybe we won't have to put up with him any longer. And by the way, that was Donald Trump's message last night in Montana. It was a bizarre b bizarre message. But he ended up, after the normal stuff about how great I am and make America great again, and nope. He, by the way, he compared himself, this, this is what an ego trip that this president is on. So it goes all the way out to Montana, ostensibly to campaign on behalf of whoever is running against John Tester, who's, whatever his name is, I don't care because he's not going to win. But Donald Trump doesn't care either. He's... He talk, he's talked last night for 90 minutes. Can you imagine? 90 minutes. What, who does he think he is? Fidel Castro, right? And he talked for 90 minutes. 87 minutes were about Donald Trump. And what a great job he's doing. He even compared himself to Abraham Lincoln. He said that, you know, when Lincoln first gave the Gettysburg Address, he, people didn't like it. People criticized it. And now it's considered one of the greatest speeches ever in the history of humankind. He said, that's going to happen to us. Oh, my God. I mean, that's 
the extent to which this guy's ego blinds him. I mean, you talk about him speaking for 90 minutes when every word you say is gold. An anomalous. Yeah, right. Really an anomalous. Then why wouldn't you talk for 90 minutes? And you've got to ask about the brain-dead people who would stand there for 90 minutes and listen to that drivel, right? And appreciate it and applaud and think he knows what he's doing or knows what he's talking about. We live, a lot of us live, folks, not on the same planet. At any rate, he gets to his message, and his message is, again, don't vote for this Republican. You got to, well, you got to vote for him, but why? Not because John Tester's doing a bad job or not because this guy would be a good job. You've got to vote, he says, to save me from impeachment. I hear that again. We're going to have the president tell you, but that the number one reason why Republicans have to vote in 2018 for Republicans for House or Senate, according to Donald Trump, is so he is not impeached. Here he is. They like to use the impeach word, impeach Trump. Maxine Waters, we will impeach him. But he didn't do anything wrong. It doesn't matter. We will impeach him. We will impeach. But I say, how do you impeach somebody that's doing a great job, that hasn't done anything wrong? Our economy is good. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? We will impeach him. But he's doing a great job. Doesn't then, matter. So Remember he goes that. on and on. So he just keeps rambling on and on about impeachment. And he ends up with a statement. He says, if it happens to me, it's your fault. <laughs> if it happens, it's your fault. Meaning, if you don't vote, then I'm going to be impeached. It's going to be your fault. To which I have to say, okay, the gloves are off. Impeachment is now the issue. According to the president of the United States, impeachment is the issue in the 2018 midterms. So if Donald Trump says the number one reason for Republicans to get out and vote is to prevent his being impeached, I say the number one reason for Democrats to get out and vote, and there's nothing wrong in saying that, is to impeach the bastard, is to make sure that we got enough votes in the House and in the Senate to impeach him and to convict him, both. If that's the number one motivation for Republicans, let it be the number one motivation for Democrats, and Democrats should not be afraid to talk about it. Sure, we have to talk about the economy. Sure, we have to talk about infrastructure. Sure, we have to talk about health care and reproductive rights and all those other important issues and jobs that Democrats do stand for and fight for for working-class Americans. At the same time, damn right we'll hold impeachment hearings. And damn right, we'll convict him in the Senate. That's the number one motivation. If it is for Republicans, according to Donald Trump himself, then it is for Democrats as well. For those six, that sixty percent of Americans already who don't have a favorable opinion, favorable opinion of Donald Trump. Um, so I think he let the cat out of the bag last night. Basically, it's a whole, it's a, it's, it's a whole new motivation. I don't want, I don't want to hear anybody else saying, "Oh, the Democrats shouldn't be talking about impeachment." Oh no. That's not politically smart. The hell it isn't. Yes, it is. I think we've come a long way on this. Yeah. I think we've come a really long way. I've come a long way on this. Sure. And the fact that he brought it up and he's going on this path, you're right. I mean, Democrats have that to hide behind if they weren't comfortable going going that far already. Yeah. Which, by the way, you remember, a lot of them did when they had the the, the vote for impeachment. But remember, I I was very struck when uh, Congressman Tim Ryan was in the last time. And he said, I forget what time Donald, what thing Donald Trump had done outrageous at that point, because <laughs> right. it's, it's every day. Yeah. 
you know, but after that, uh, Dim Ryan, who has been one saying, no, it's too soon to talk about impeachment. Let's just talk about our economic issues and boom, boom, boom. He said, I'm really reconsidering now based on what Donald Trump did. And I think a lot of Democrats have gotten to that point. Uh, I know that I have. And meanwhile, wrapping up on the questioning on um, Brett Kavanaugh yesterday uh, to the Supreme Court, I mean, it's pretty clear that the math is not there. The votes are not there. Not one vote has been shaken. Uh, we're lucky if we hold on to all the Democrats, I believe, but there's no sign that, no sign. Forget about Susan Collins. Forget about Lisa Murkowski, I believe. There, and now we've got John Kyle in there. So it's going to be almost impossible to, uh, has proven to change any of those votes. Nonetheless, um, Democrats, particularly Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, I think, uh, made the most of the hearings uh, yesterday. Cory Booker saying, look, uh, I'm willing to even, there's some emails here that have a lot to say. If the committee won't release them, I will release them. And I'm releasing it to expose that, number one, the emails that are being withheld from the public have nothing to do with national security. Yeah, so why were they withheld? And John Cornyn gets on his high horse and says, oh, if you do that, there's going to be a price to pay. No senator deserves to sit on this committee or serve in the Senate, in my view, if they decide to be a law unto themselves and willingly flout the rules of the Senate and the determination of confidentiality and classification. Uh, Yeah, and and again, the rank hypocrisy of these Republicans after stealing a seat on the Supreme Court, stealing a seat for Neil Gorsuch, stealing it from Barack Obama and from the American people, any of them to say, oh, we have to follow the right procedures and how dare you do this. Yeah, Cory Booker says, bring it on, baby. If he feels that I and now my fellow colleagues who are with me have violated those rules, if he is not a tempest in a teapot, but sincerely believes that, then bring the charges. Yeah. So Call his bluff. Make him do it. Call his bluff. Right, exactly. And then Dick Durbin said, and count me in, and, and others, others climbed on board as well. Uh, but just to give you an example of the email, one of the emails that Cory Booker released is the issue of Roe v. Wade um, and reproductive rights, and is this settled law or not? Um, Brett Kavanaugh, Susan Collins, said, oh, he came to see me and he reassured me that Roe v. Wade is settled law. Well, then one of the emails released by Cory Booker yesterday is an email from Brett Kavanaugh back when he was working at the White House where he says, I am not sure that all legal scholars refer to Roe as a settled law of the land at the, at the Supreme Court level since the court can always overrule its precedent, precedent and three current justices on the court would do so. So he he contradicts himself on that issue. He is... Here in this email, he is clearly saying it's not settled law. Not all attorneys would agree it's settled law. And by the way, the court can overrule it any time it wants. To me, that's not a guy who's saying I'm going to uphold Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, which you know, Brett, you know, Brett Kavanaugh will vote to overrule it. He would not be. He would not have been. I mean, in fact, he would not have been on the list that Donald Trump had from the Federalist Society unless he had agreed that he is a absolutely confirmed vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. And there were at the hearings yesterday, God love him, Code Pink was really busy, 
a uh, lot of protest. Almost uh, every five minutes, somebody would stand up and uh, and do their thing, and they were summarily uh, thrown out. Uh, they would just what they did. They just sort of interrupted the procedures or paused in the procedures until that protester got out of the room. They did a little differently over in the House of Representatives, uh, thanks to one member. This is Congressman Billy Long from Missouri. So when there was a protester in a hearing there a couple of days ago, uh, Billy Long decided to fill the time. He is, um, I don't know what his background was, but he was an auctioneer, I guess, at one time, or at least yeah. to, I, whether it was a full-time job or he would just do it. But yeah. there's some dead time there, and somebody needed to cover up the noise from the protesters. So Billy Long seizes the microphone, and here he is, auctioneer par excellence. I'm at a den, 12 and a half, 15, 7 and a half, 20 dollar, 2 and a half, 5 and 7 and a half, 30. Yep, 30 dollar down here, 2 and a half, 5, 35, 7 and a half, 40. Yep, 40 dollar, 2 and a half, 5, 5, 45, 7 and a half, 50. That 50 dollar down here, 2 and a half, 5, 50. Officer, will you escort this young lady out, please? Yep, 2 and a half, and a half, 5, 65, 7 and a half, 70. There he goes. And he just keeps on going. He keeps on going. I just, I love that. That's amazing. It is amazing. First of all, it's hard to follow, but I, how do you do, how do you do that? That's, I have no idea. That's like speaking Navajo. Yeah, I have no clue. You know, it's I'm, it's it is a foreign language to me. Total. It's a foreign language to me. I'm at a den, twelve and a half, fifteen, seven and a half, twenty dollar, two and a half, five, seven and a half, thirty. Yep, thirty dollar down here, two and a half, five, thirty five, seven and a half, forty. Yep, forty dollar, two and a half. There you go. There's your congressman, Missouri. <laughs> oh, there he is. Okay, yes, indeed, a, a national treasure. Meanwhile, uh, what's happening? We haven't paying, haven't been paying as much attention as we should. Uh, perhaps there's so much else going on to what's happening with the environment. Colin Amara, president of the National Wildlife Federation, joins us to bring us up to date on some of the other issues we should be concerned about. Coming up next, quick break, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Friday, September 7, good to be with you today here as we uh, boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you nationwide, of course, on the radio and television and online. And brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, as good men and women uh, of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. They keep our federal agencies running day in and day out, no matter who the president is. They're proud to get up and work for America, work for you and me uh, every day. Uh, yes, these are the people that Donald Trump says, we don't have enough money to give them a pay raise, so we're just going to freeze their salaries. Well, then maybe we won't. Well, maybe we will. Nobody knows. He has no appreciation for them anyhow. We do, and we thank them for the support of the program and their good work on behalf of this country. And we welcome um, back to the studio a good friend who is head of the National Wildlife Federation, Colin O'Mara. Colin, great to see you. Yeah, Bill, great to be on again. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Uh, before we jump into some more stuff here, uh, Peter's been tracking the Twitter feed this morning. Ah, yes, yes, indeed. Stirring so, things up. Let me jump first of all to uh, a poll that we put up during yesterday's show. We now have the results for about who wrote the anonymous. Oh, yes. In the New York Times, we gave you a couple different choices uh, to <laughs> choose from. Overwhelmingly, with 61% of the vote, people think that it was. Mike Pence. <laughs> Mike Pence. But I will say a lot of people uh, uh, chimed in with some other options. Dan Coates was mentioned several mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. on Twitter. People that found us on Twitter. You know, everybody BP says show. about the point about Dan Coates is he has nothing to lose. 
Sure. He's like 75. Yeah. You know, he's uh, had a great career, and so if t- Trump fires him, so what? Yeah. Um, Other people have mentioned uh, have mentioned John Kelly. John Kelly might have been the one who wrote it. I'm not so sure about that, but, uh, you know. I think he believes everything in there, but I'm not sure <laughs> Kelly <laughs> yeah. wrote it. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah, there's, there's some more people who mention uh, uh, John Kelly for sure. Also, uh, one quick comment about Donald Trump having a hard time <laughs> with the word anonymous. Uh, I just want to mention, somebody tweeted this. I didn't say it. Uh, maybe all the drugs are fighting in his brain, uh, and we're not sure which one is winning. So you could find us on Twitter at BP show at BP show. Okay, Peter. All right, good. So, Colin, before we get into some of the wildlife issues, I want to drag you into politics here for just a second because as we talked, I know you have a connection to my home state of Delaware. I used to work there for Governor Jack Markell. And uh, yesterday, a big Senate primary uh, in Delaware uh, that you were also involved in. It was a, a, people saw this as maybe uh, the next big uh, um, battleground for between progr- well that was I guess between progressive challenger to an establishment Democrat. We saw Joe Crowley get beat yeah. in the Queens. We saw Michael Capuano yeah. that happened. Gwen Graham lost to Andy Gillum and Andrew Gillum in Florida, and here was Senator Tom Carper up against a challenger, young woman, thirty-eight years old, Kerry yeah, Harris. 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 Yeah, Harris, yeah. Uh, and it turned out. Pretty lopsided on behalf of Tom Carper. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those cases where I just think the national media doesn't really fully understand states like Delaware, right? Where, um, you know, Tom Carper um, was called out for a few individual votes, but there's been no one that's been more progressive on the environment, in the, especially in this administration, than Tom Carper. I mean, Scott Pruitt would still be in place if it wasn't for Tom Carper leading the charge against him. I mean, you're looking at the Defense of the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, I mean, fighting back against tr- Trump appointees. Um, you know, he's been incredibly successful. And I think this is where, like, sometimes the rhetoric doesn't kind of match the reality. But, you know, it was a two-to-one victory. And I-, I was knocking on doors in Rehoboth and Georgetown and places down south. And, you know, people want somebody that's going to fight to defend values like clean air and clean water and, you know, make sure there's good jobs. But they also want to figure out if there are areas where we can make progress, can people work together? And, and as you know, right, that's kind of the Delaware way. Um, and I think folks overwhelmingly, you know, decided to send Senator Carper back for another six years. I was surprised. Uh, I was amused this morning by some of the headlines. Uh, and I don't vote in Delaware. I vote in California, my adopted state. But uh, the headlines were like Carper scrapes by or something yeah. like that. It was 65, <laughs> 65 to 35. <laughs> exactly. And also in terms of scale, uh, not uh, putting her down because that was a that was a good show on her part. Carrie Harris, first time she ever ran. Um, that for to get thirty five percent, she got a total of twenty nine thousand right. votes. So there were that's like there were a hundred thousand votes cast in the entire state, right? Well, and, and it's actually one of the in best. Sen- mid- it's one of the best midterm election turnouts ever <laughs> in Delaware. I mean, it's a it's a Senate district in, or a state Senate district in, in California. But you know, I mean, not I think, even, not even. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But the thing that was interesting is that um, folks were energized, right? And I think, and I think, you know, it's a good sign. I mean, normally it's about sixty thousand people that vote in a primary, and so yeah. this was eighty-five thousand. Um, so you know, I think there's shows that there's good democratic energy, you know, across the board. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, EPA. Scott Pruitt is gone, so the focus has not been so much on EPA. Mm-hmm. There is an acting director who, by the way, went out of his way yesterday to say that I did not write the op- <laughs> anonymous op-ed, <laughs> as if anybody suspected no, him. I don't think he's on anybody's list. Or have things improved at EPA at all? 
without so, Pruitt. There. Yeah, I mean, so I've met with the the administrator or the acting administrator, and there's things like the clean power plan, the things like the clean water rule. They're still in the wrong direction. I mean, they're still kind of going full steam ahead. There's other places. There's there's like less of the knucklehead stuff. You're not going to see the ethical lapses from you know this from Andrew that you'll that you saw from, from Scott Pruitt. Um, he stepped back from some really bad things that that Scott Pruitt was trying to do around vehicles and around duty vehicles. Um, but there's still bad stuff every day. And I think you know the appointments will be slightly more rational. They just appointed a woman that's a friend that this woman Alex Dunn, who um to oversee the chemical uh, the chemical um, division uh, is the assistant administrator. Um, she's a professional. She's not an industry hack. She's you know somebody that could could do the job compared to the previous guy, Michael Durson, who um, was kind of just of industry. And so I think you're going to see a little more rationality. It's going to look more like like the Bush EPA, um, right? Where you're still going to be pushing back on things every day. But you know the the thing I, I, I warned my colleagues as is you know he was coming in. They're going to do things better in terms of like in terms of being more legally defensible. You know, so it's going to be more of a challenge because. I mean, Scott Pruitt was basically trying to govern by press release. You know, he liked his photo ops. He liked his, you know, his Twitter feeds. He liked his, you know, secret phone booth. But, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't actually do a lot of the rules well. And so we keep winning in the courts. And so, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we will blunt most of the damage they try to do. The problem is that we're going to lose those years of progress where we're, you know, seeing catastrophic storms and fires and algal blooms and things like that. But you mentioned um, the the clean power plan. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the... And it took a long time to put together, but this was one of the greatest achievements from an environmental point of view of the Obama administration, right? And really did would make a difference in the long run for yeah. decades. Uh, and they've just gutted that, yeah, right? And well, basically allowed coal-fired power plants now to uh, existing or new to pump as much crap in the air as they can. It's 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 it's, it's completely insane because the the two biggest sources of, of pollution kind of causing climate change right now are vehicles and and power plants, right? They're the two, the two biggest sources. Yeah. They're the ones that are most cost effective to try to reduce. Um, and so instead of reducing maybe by 30 or 40 percent the amount of emissions coming from the existing power plants over the next 10 years, we're going to reduce 3 percent, maybe if we're lucky. I mean, the one thing I will give them credit for is like they actually admitted that more people will die mm-hmm. under their plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was actually a pretty honest. No, document. I saw that. Yeah, right. And, yeah. Um, but it's it's just it's so wrongheaded. And the sad thing is that the rhetoric around you know the, the war on coal and the and the kind of the attacks from industry um, are just going to put more people in harm's way. You know, I mean, when you look at you know the folks that are facing some of the hurricanes coming through you know the Gulf now and potentially the Mid Atlantic next week, the folks that obviously had impacts in Hawaii just a few weeks ago. Um, we're still trying to recover from the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. Um, we're just putting people in, in harm's way. And it's just, you know, this is one of those um, intergenerational um, thefts that we're, that we're kind of perpetuating through this administration. Uh, and the other thing, the new CAFE standards yeah. that adopted by President Obama are also gone. Yeah, right. and, and again, it's it's you know California. California's proven, vehicles. you know, I mean, our, our, yeah. our mutual friend Mary Nichols, right, has proven that you know by reducing emissions, you can actually have better innovation, save people money. It's a it's a lot cheaper to have a more fuel efficient car, um, and and then they're safer. Um, and again, so it's just it's a giveaway to industry that industry doesn't even really want. They went much further you know, than so industry What gets was me about for. that is that the auto industry had backed these yeah. tougher campaigns, uh, cafe standards, they were saying, yes, yeah. we can make more fuel-efficient fuel cars, and we will. Well, and, and there's a deal, right? I mean, the part that bothers me is that, I mean, Ed Markey says this better than anybody, the deal was, we will bail you out, and you will yes. make better cars. Right. And there was a deal, right? And, it's, yeah. and, and a couple bad actors in the industry, as soon as they had the opportunity, try to renege on the deal. And it's just, it's it's unfortunate because all you're going to have is more pollution, more kids breathing, you know, particulate matter, and, you know, sudden and 
And I think that's the the sad part where they can they can do this, right? The technology is available. There's more electric vehicles being sold than ever before. There's more hybrids being sold. Cars are cleaner than any time in our history. They're cheaper. They're getting better. And and at the same time, just there's a little bit of greed. But so California has said, we don't care what Donald right. Trump says. We're not going to allow those cars to be sold in California. And I think some 13, 14, right. 15 other states have yep. said we're going to follow California's lead. So what are GM or Ford or Chevy going to do? Uh, are they going to make two different kinds of cars? Well, and that was always the deal because the part of the agreement with President Obama was that I mean, they, they, want, they wanted right? to have they one. They can't have two different kind of assembly right. lines. Well, they wanted, to, they wanted to have one standard that was kind of harmonized. <laughs> and, you know, obviously the right. more progressive states wanted a higher standard and some of the others yeah, wanted a lower right. standard. Um, I, th- I mean, they're going to t- try to continue to attack. the Cal- California has an exemption under the Clean Air Act that everyone yeah. else has, yeah. you know, kind of piggybacked off of, including Delaware and other states. Um, I think the auto industry is going to have to build the higher standard because that's also how they're serving the European market because the European standards are pretty high. And so I think the question is, do you try to serve the high, high kind of the highest denominator, the lowest common denominator? Um, but it's just, it's just again, one of these wrongheaded policies that hurts consumers. The only people that benefit are folks that are trying to sell more oil and maybe a small amount on the bottom line for a couple of companies. But frankly, the future is going to be more efficient cars. Um, and it's just, again, it puts consumers and American workers last. Uh, we can't leave EPA without one more question about um, Scott Pruitt. So <laughs> he's not there, but he hasn't entirely disappeared. There was a report came out earlier this yeah. week um, that not only did he spend all this money for on for his own personal right. comfort or security, but it was totally unnecessary, unneeded, and didn't particularly on the security line. Right? Was was just wasted money. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's millions of dollars, right? I mean, right. You know, and getting to your point about that, he our, didn't need protection around well, the clock, or nineteen people, nineteen vehicles, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's important to get to you know the diplomat as fast as, as yeah, <laughs> as, fast as possible. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> but the um, tough getting a reservation. But, but this is where I think you know a lot of a lot of folks are just you know kind of getting tired of the of just the hubris, right? Because you know when you're saying that our you know our friends and that are in the unions at you know at EPA and other and other agencies you know can't have a couple percent raise. But you see this outlandish spending, whether it's at, at, at Health and Human Services or, or here, you know, that's a two percent raise for a whole lot of employees, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, and I think right. there's just a disdain for taxpayers that we kind of see, and, and just an arrogance for what's needed. But I mean, I have I've, I've you know been with heads of state that had a lot less security <laughs> than than you know Mr. Pruitt tried to have, and it, I think it just shows a disrespect for taxpayers. Um, uh, to your um, role as president of the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, a couple of things really troubled me that I saw this week. One was uh, this massive slaughter of elephants yeah. in Botswana. I, I, I find it shocking that any nation today, particularly I mean, these African nations where they thrive on safaris and yeah. tourism, that would allow, even have laws that would allow poachers to go in. I mean, there was I, something like 48 elephant carcasses yeah. they discovered. Yeah, I mean, from d- poachers who are in there for the ivory, right? right. Yeah, and, and aren't there international laws now or national laws that that prevent that? Or th- they're supposed to be, right? And I mean, we've invested, and other groups have invested. A lot of national governments are doing doing a lot of work on this. I mean, the the heartbreaking part for for me is that um, I mean, the population numbers are getting bad. Um, you know, yeah. Paul, Paul Allen had done this kind of census, kind of looking at all the populations and you know, kind of where they're strong and where they're weak, and 
you know, and they're, they're weakest in the places that have the least functional governments, um, you know, because there isn't that kind of control. What worries me is that the technology is advancing pretty fast. And so you have folks using, you know, aerial drones right now trying to f- identify exactly not only where mm. where the wildlife are, but also kind of where the rangers are and kind of how to kind of get around the surface. You're going to start seeing, you know, some folks actually attacking from the sky in some cases, right, mm. using unmanned, mm-hmm. unmanned think, because the tusks are so valuable. Mm-hmm. So. This is why the work that the previous administration was doing, and this administration to some extent, trying to cut those markets down because it is—it's fueling terrorism. It's you know, it's fueling all kinds of illicit activity because it's so valuable. But you know, I was in I was in uh, Kenya a little while ago, and there was a guy that just said very plainly, he "said Look, he goes, he goes, I can sell somebody taking a picture of an elephant over and over and over and over again and fund my school, fund my well, fund my road um, in a way that makes us self-sufficient." If you don't have that security kind of in place to protect these species, you lose all of that. And I think it is one of the one of the great travesties the last few years. Uh, and in an area like Botswana, I mean, there are a lot of national parks in oh, yeah. Botswana, right? There Absolutely. are refugees or whatever where the safaris are. What? Where were these animals slaughtered? Is are there just like wildlands where there's no? Yeah, so protection it, at all. I mean, I think the, the thing that because I, I don't for know. A lot of I've America, never been there. Don't yeah, know the I mean, country. So I, I've, I've been to, I've been to several. I mean, I think. It's hard to almost fathom like the scale of some of these like protected areas, right? Because when they say protected, I mean, that's a, that's a designation on a map. And so in terms of having enough people everywhere, oh. I think the challenge is that we're not doing enough to help some of these countries have the technology they need to know where everything is. Like we haven't collared enough of the the species kind of know exactly how to track them, exactly how to protect them. Because you still want them to be wild. You don't want them to kind of turn yeah, them into kind, yeah. of, kind of caged a animals. Game park or something, right. right. But at the same time, we need to we need to have the technology matching kind of what the what the poachers are using. Um, and, I, and I think this is one of those cases where kind of the, the resources that are being applied towards conservation just aren't nearly enough compared to the incentives that the, you know, kind of the terror groups have to, to try to destroy these wildlife. And the other story I saw that really bothered me is that we have reopened the hunting season on grizzly bears in, this is Alaska, right? Well, so or, there's there's two different issues. So there's the um, the grizzly bears in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana met their population recoveries. It's one of the uh, recovery. Yeah. It's one of the great American success stories, right? I mean, these were populations were very very low. So now, now that they're back, we're going to kill them off. <laughs> so so now, as under the Endangered Species Act, the you know the management goes back to the states. I mean, there, there's a lawsuit that you know a couple of the groups brought. Um, and I think you know, we're just kind of calling for kind of restraint, right? Basically saying like, look, like let's let's ease our way into this. Um, you know, there are some places where there's been some conflicts, but at the same time, these are magnificent species that we need to conserve and protect. Um, and so we're trying to work with the governors right now, saying, you know, let's go slow and let's find figure out a path that actually makes sense. Because I, what I don't want to see is um, kind of early decisions that then undo decades of, of good work because we're not managing the, the resource the right way. Um, and then there's a separate rule oh. in Alaska that's got all kinds of challenges, too. Well, uh, so is there hunting season for for grizzlies in any state? Not right now. No, no, because once it was listed, you know, 30 years ago, um, all that all that stopped. And but, so, but there was a move to lift it, and yes. then that was yeah. reversed. Is that right? So the um, For now, there is no hunting season. Right. Right. So right. So right now, there's, but, a, there's a judicial stay for a few weeks um, to kind of look at whether or not whether or not the recovery goals were met sufficiently. Um, you know, and this was. I mean, I think there's there's broad agreement in the in the in the conservation community that that the species has recovered past the point where it needs the Endangered Species Act protections. I think the question that we're all struggling with is, could we not immediately start decreasing the population, but instead have you know, more? Okay, but I know it's a dumb question, but then even if the population is back, right? Yeah. Why kill them? I mean, why allow a hunter to go out and kill a grizzly bear? Why? Mm-hmm. Just for the sport of it? 
No, I mean, I think in some cases there are management reasons, right, where you want a kind of a certain density kind of over a, over a particular landscape to avoid the potential for conflict. Um, those, those instances are pretty limited. And, and so you know, I think there is a combination. There are some scientific reasons why you want to keep population levels and kind of gender balance and things like that in, in different regions. Um, but it, the motivation should be kind of well-managed habitat. The motivation shouldn't just be trophy hunting. Um, and I think that's, and that's the balance that we're trying to make sure folks are, are striking because it needs to be focused on the scientific management not based on, you know, the interests of a few groups. All right. So um, how many, I'm thinking of Betsy DeVos now. Yeah. How many. Uh, <laughs> I try not to. How many schools have been attacked <laughs> by grizzly bears? Well, now that you can use all your title, whatever funding for, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teachers, yeah. You know, that's actually one of my favorite hearing moments in kind of hearing history. We've never, <laughs> there's been absolutely none. None. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely so, but, but she said we have to arm teachers right. because they right. may need those guns exactly. for grizzly attacks. Exactly. I don't know if it's Montana uh, against, or Montana states that's a grizzlies, but I think that's been the most <laughs> the most violence in schools. Um, jumping around, I know, but um, you mentioned you were in Florida recently. So uh, last Christmas, yeah. um, Carol and I spent Christmas uh, in a magnificent little resort, um, the Minnesota Beach Resort, on just south of Sarasota. Yep. And um, we uh, experienced the red tide. I mean, ha- I had a problem breathing for yeah. two because of this of the red tide, and there were just thousands and thousands of dead fish all over the beach. Uh, that was last December. This is September. It's still there, isn't it? Still there, it? and it's in a, and it's in exp- it's expanded in size. I mean, you're looking at about 150 miles worth of area that's affected by it right now. You know, going all the way down, you know, towards Sanibel and you know Fort Myers, kind of further south. I've never seen so many dead fish. I mean, and, and oh no, is, and, I hadn't either. I mean, and, I couldn't in, in every it. direction. I mean, so we're on yeah. the boat. I mean, I mean, there's the there's the blue green algae issue in the canals and the Kalasluch Hoochie yeah. and right coming off the kind of the farm <clears throat> runoff um, on the freshwater side. But I mean, we saw you know, Goliath groupers that were you know six seven feet long, just dead, you know, just kind of whoa, bobbing in the water. Whoa. You know, the manatees, the sea turtles. I went yeah. to one of the recovery centers where they're trying to bring back a bunch of leather, leather, leatherbacks and and Kemp's Ridleys and and um, green sea turtles. I mean, it, the impacts are just massive. And, and the thing is, it's not over yet because when so one of the things we saw is that all like the pinfish and the grunts, like the, the, the little critters that are the forage fish for all the bigger species, are just wiped out. And so when that happens, everything that depends on those. But we've, gonna, always had, we've always had red tide, and it yep. comes and goes, right? It comes right. for a couple of weeks or whatever. You don't eat certain stuff because of that, but then it goes away. Right. Didn't go away this time. Well, and I think this is where, you know. What's going on? You know, is cons- this climate change? Well, it, it's, it's exacerbated by it, right? I mean, there's red tide stories going back to the conquistadors, right? So, I mean, that, yeah. it's been around forever. Right. We've never seen it this long, this broad, this, this, you know, this intense. And, you know, when you have warmer waters, you have more pollution coming from different places because you have more rain runoff, kind of putting yeah. more nutrients into the system. Um, and it's coming from everywhere. This isn't the, the red tide isn't just coming from Florida, right? You have issues coming down, you know, the um, coming down the Mississippi Delta and, and other places. But yes, I mean, this is how climate change is going. To, it's just going to make everything worse. The fires are going to be worse. The hurricanes are going to be worse. The red tide is going to be worse. The LSD is going to be worse. We can't let you go. We're almost out of time without bringing us up to date. The Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is so important, right? Yeah. Up again, so many, so many parks and everything depend on it. Yeah. And what's the status? Yeah, so I mean, it's going to expire on, June, on, on September 30th. I mean, it's going September to expire th- in, in three and a half weeks. And I mean, if anyone visited a national park or a state park or a county park or any time in their lifetime, they've benefited from the Land and Water Conservation Fund. This is the, the most effective land conservation program anywhere in the world. Um, all those special places, all the trails you've used, all the things like that were partially funded by this program, which for 54 years um, has been just a marquee program. 
we have to make, we have to renew it. And there was a short-term three-year extension a few years ago. Yeah. Um, there's a big push right now. It's somewhat bipartisan. Um, Richard Burr from North Carolina has been leading the charge. There's been other folks. Um, you know, Senator Gardner's been involved. Senator Daines has been involved. And you know, all the Democrats have been incredibly helpful. Um, but again, this is the kind of thing that, you know, with the hearings going on, with the op-eds coming out, with the investigation going on, we're very concerned that it's not going to be um, renewed. And if that happens, you know, all of a sudden we have to start over again to try to make this great program. But if you like playing outdoors, <laughs> you should care about this program and call your congressman and let them know you want it renewed. Uh, land and Water Conservation the Land and Fund. Water Conservation And they Fund. can find out more about that effort and uh, how important it is at nwf.org. Yep, nwf.org. So is it, is it an independent um, bill or is it part of the appropriations or part of the part, part of the continuing resolution? Is that it? So, yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of standalone bills that could be attached to anything. There's It's part of an energy package. It's part of a sportsman package. It's part of it, – it's not part of the um, – it's not part of the current appropriations minibus because they couldn't get that through the House mm-hmm. um, because there's a there's an ideological concern in the House that just – it's ridiculous, but we have to kind of work through it. But, yeah, so there, I think it's just – it's one of those things like in D.C. You try to attach to any moving train you possibly can <laughs> to right. try to get it yeah. to the president's desk. And it's so important. Every every single American benefit from the Land and Water Conservation Fund. You may not know it, but you do. Uh, so go to an NWF, National Wildlife Federation, nwf.org, and then uh, do what they tell you to do. And Colin Merritt, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you too, sir. Jason Dick joins us next as a friend of Bill. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. If I get impeached, it's your fault. That's what Donald Trump told a crowd in Montana last night. Telling Republicans this is the number one reason that you have to get out and vote in November is so that I don't get impeached. Well, my message to Democrats is this is the number one reason you should get out and vote also to impeach him. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a th- no. It's a Friday, Friday, September seven. Oh. Don't get used to hearing Bill talk about being here on a Friday. It's hard for me to get used to being here on a Friday. Uh, <laughs> uh, a rare appearance on a Friday, but I'm happy to be here with you uh, as we join you all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington D.C. With uh, all the news of the day, the uh, Kavanaugh hearing, as far as questions from the members of the panel, the Judiciary Committee, wrapping up yesterday, Donald Trump in a wild uh, campaign rally out in Montana that had nothing to do with Montana it had all, about, all to do with, uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and, yes, the big witch hunt at the White House, so far as we know, they still haven't located the author of the anonymous op-ed, but they are working at it. And it Jason, was Burt Reynolds. 
Burt Reynolds, that was it. And Jason Dick from Roll Conveniently Call. died yesterday. Deputy yeah. editor. That, leave no trail. Um, leave no trail. <laughs> Who joins us? Hello, Jason. How Hi, are Bill. You? Good, to, good to see you. All right, just get it out of the way. Did you write it? I I did not write it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I am a big fan of the use of the word lodestar, uh, being an English major. Uh, but uh, I cannot yeah. claim credit for it. And I really do think it was Burt Reynolds. Because I, mean, I have seen Burt's <laughs> Lodestar in many pieces that you have written. So <laughs> I thought of you right away. Anyhow, we'll get to the bottom of it before this hour is out. Uh, Jason's here with us, and then we'll be joined by Jordan Carney from The Hill a little bit later. But first... Peter starts us off. Court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Jason, we'll start right there. You <laughs> mentioned Burt Reynolds passed away yesterday at the age of 82 to do cardiac arrest. Uh, legendary actor. You know him from Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run, The Longest Yard, Boogie Nights. And, Jason, as you pointed out, he played... Uh, he was a political figure in the movie Striptease. Here- Congressman David Dil- Dilbeck. There he is. Here, here's a clip from him in the movie Striptease. Why are you all shiny? It's Vaseline. I can feel it squishing between my toes. There he goes. Covered himself in Vaseline <laughs> from head to toe for the role. Uh, he's 82 years old. Uh, legendary actor. Legendary actor. And Playboy. And Playboy. I mean, had and a reputation Playboy. for being pretty wild off the screen yes. you know, and was, on the screen. It was interesting yesterday. That they, you know, he was in the movie Deliverance, and during award season is when he did that sort of infamous nude. Yeah. Layout. Uh, what was it? Cosmopolitan was yeah, it Cosmo? a yeah. centerfold and Cosmopolitan. He was a centerfold and mm-hmm. Cosmo, and the the cast of Deliverance blamed that on why they didn't get more awards during the war <laughs> season. They said that he took too much of the uh, right. The you know what? Away. I mean, when you've got a prestige pick with uh, backwoods rape and murder and so forth, I mean, <laughs> right. you keep, yeah. you can't have people posing nude. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, we we should talk about this. The NFL season is underway. I'm not really an NFL guy, and I'm not going yeah. to really spend a lot of time talking about it this year. Uh, but the Eagles, defending Super Bowl champions, took on the Atlanta Falcons. There was a bit of a rain delay by the way, because it was pretty rainy where they were playing uh, in Philadelphia. But the Eagles won 18-12, to 18-12. So their title reign, uh, their title defense begins with a win against the Atlanta Falcons. And one final story. Here's one thing that you do not do. A man walked into Disney World, a 56-year-old man from New Jersey. They have a lot of greeters there. And he walked up to one of the greeters and said, Al-Qaeda sent me here to blow this place up, end, end yeah. quote. That is the quote that he used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the greeter just says, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy says, I don't want to have a great day. The greeter then told the police, who then tackled the man, took him into custody. Uh, not a good idea. Not something that you should do. When going anywhere, but especially a place that's as high security as Disney World. The greeter says, zippity doo da, <laughs> yeah, <right>. zippity a. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. I did not write that op ed. Uh, just about. Everybody who walked in the White House on the White House grounds yesterday through the gate yesterday said <laughs> had to say that they had to sign on the dotted line. I think. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Yes, there are two witch hunts now: the Robert Mueller witch hunt and the Donald Trump witch hunt inside and outside the White House. It is the Bill Press Show. This is Friday, September seven, 
So good to see you. Thank you for joining us and being part of the program, whether you're joining us online, on television, on Free Speech TV, or on the radio out in WCPT, out in the greater Chicago area. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the program, and welcome to uh, Jason Dick, Deputy Editor at CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Good to see you. It's great to be here, Bill. How about it? So um, the president is uh, back from Montana, and he is trumping this morning. Uh, tweeting, I should say. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that could By be a, way, that could be a new verb uh, inter- introduced, like right right of there along Lodestar. Uh, you know, in terms of new words to the I American like public. I think he he is trumping more than tweeting. <laughs> At any rate, but here's what he, you know. There's a question about why he doesn't just ignore this book, but instead, here's his tweet. The Woodward book. This is just a couple of minutes ago. Right. The Woodward book is a scam. I don't talk the way I am quoted. If I did, <laughs> I would not have been elected president. Peter, cue up uh, the uh, quote from last night. These quotes were made up. The author uses every trick in the book to demean and belittle. I wish the people would see the real facts, and our country is doing great. great. Kind of caps. like Tony the Tiger. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Now he ta- we know he talks um, very eloquently last night uh, when he talked about, for example, the op-ed from the New York Times. How was it written? Donald Trump tells us. The latest act of resistance is the op-ed published in the failing New York Times by an anonymous, really an anonymous, gutless <laughs> coward. Anonymous, anonymous, an anonymous, really anonymous. I love. I mean, I really do love how he completely butchers anonymous, and then just just completely changes it to an wow. ominous, an ominous source. Yes, it was yes, an ominous was source. An ominous, ominous source. An anonymous. Wow, man. Wow. So what? One of the things that struck me about this rally. Um, not that I was glued to it or, or, or anything last night, but um, I was catching up on my clips from Hooper and Cannonball Run and, <laughs> and so forth uh, in, in tribute to the, the bandit. Uh, is it, it seemed rather listless. I mean, you, you could hear even the boos were kind of subdued. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just it seems like the, you know, in, in, in any television show, you get to the point where it, you're just kind of going – you know, there's a, a lack of energy, a, a sort of a lack of zip uh, when the when the magic goes away. And it, it it it's not that you know he doesn't have his supporters in places like Montana or, or anywhere, but it just didn't seem like there was a ton of. I mean, it wasn't these sort of bloodthirsty crowds almost no. where you could feel yeah. this energy. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean the campaigns are always a little bit different, but I, I mean I remember well, being in Vegas during the Nevada caucuses. And boy, I mean, it was a that was a raucous sort of feeling with a lot of energy. Well, a couple things. Number one, there is no campaign. I mean, he's not he's he will be in twenty twenty if he's still around. Right. There's no campaign, well, so I mean, it's well, sort of artificial. Theoretically, he was there to boost Matt Rosendale. The, theoretically, the, the, right, the, only the, the, the yeah. Republican state auditor who's he, running against John Tester. He spoke for ninety minutes last night. If he mentioned Rosendale's name twice in ninety minutes. 
Rosendale was lucky. Right. right? R- Rosendale is already having difficulty distinguishing himself. You know, I mean, he he also has a flat top like Tester, but but he, unlike Tester, has all ten fingers. So it's like he's not even that ex- exotic <laughs> of an animal. Uh, from you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to make too much light of this, but it just it, it seemed like it lacked some. No, it did. The zip, no, it did. You know, it did. Uh, and and uh, but uh, as part and part of the, the the his routine, of course, of how great I am, how great he actually said that um, he compared himself to Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Right. They both have that, really great facial hair. Wait, never mind. Somebody <laughs> else. Uh. <laughs> uh, but he said, you know, when the Gettysburg address, he first gave, when he gave the Gettysburg address at first, the, the, the comments were very critical. There were people who mm-hmm. didn't think it was. Twitter hated it. Nothing. Twitter hated it, right. <laughs> and, and so he sort of says, it's sort of like me. That's going to happen to us. That people think that they're going to, you know, now they're going to, th- that they may be critical of me now, but right. I'm, they're going to see I'm the, the greatest president, even greater than Lincoln. Well, he, he told he told Woodward that too on this on this just fabulous oh. phone conversation. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that, I mean, it it really is like when you when you listen to it. I mean, granted, the way people talk uh, it, on on a phone call is a little bit different than they talk up say at a on a talk show, a political talk show, yeah, or, right. or, or a political go. rally. But it it's it is like performance art. I mean, it is just, it, it's mesmerizing to listen to it, to listen to the, you know, the, the, the contradictions within even a couple of, like, seconds of one another. I mean, it's, it really is just somebody going completely off the cuff. And I get that that's why he has some of the supporters he have. They appreciate that, like, that's like me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I, right. I, I'm you know, I, I don't always have a polished thing like, I don't know, Chuck Schumer or, what, or whatever, whatever the boogeyman is. You know, uh, for for um, for folks, you know, on the on and this guy the like me, he'll say anything he right. thinks. You know, doesn't right. have to be politically correct and all that kind of right. stuff. Right, right, right. So um, back to the anonymous, whatever you pronounce <laughs> that word, anonymous, anonymous op-ed. I must admit that the effort to discover who wrote it, of course, in the White House is intense. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite is that it's not Sonny Perdue, the ag secretary. <laughs> no, no, no. Or it's not Ben Carson. Not Ben Carson, right? right so they ben found Carson. him. They, where was he? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Ben Carson had his hand stuck in a pickle jar, so he, or he would have written the op-ed. Okay. So here is the – here's a list of people so far yesterday, right, Just, <laughs> who said they did not write it. Okay. Starts with Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo. Jim Mattis, Steve Mnuchin, Jeff Sessions, Kirsten Kirsten Nielsen, Homeland Security, uh, John Bolton, National Security Advisor, Dan Colts, Director of National Intelligence. But then the list expands <laughs> to include these little ones: the Secretaries of Agriculture, Commerce, Education, Energy, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, <laughs> Interior, Labor, Transportation. And Veterans Affairs, as well as the FBI director, the CIA director, the trade representative, <laughs> the acting head of the EPA, and Nikki Haley, ambassador to the UN, and John Huntsman, ambassador to Russia. I mean, and and Roy Clark and Buck Owens, Grandpa <laughs> Jones, and the rest of the cast of Hee Haw. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Oh, no. People are gonna start. People are gonna start saying they didn't do it, and, and people are gonna be like, "Wait, who are you?" Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you, okay, you didn't do it, but like, what, right. what's your name again? <laughs> no, no. Actually, Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> Cohen probably wrote it. <laughs> Roy Moore Roy is gonna Moore. be like, "Hey, remember me? I didn't do it, Mr. President." Like, oh, please, Roy, please go ahead. <laughs> Sheriff Joe, right? Yeah, <laughs> Kelly right. Ward. And it got so... so it wasn't it got, John McCain. <laughs> now, the, you mentioned the word lodestar earlier, right? So it's gotten so absurd that who used the word lodestar at John McCain's service on Saturday? Right. Mike Pence. No, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Henry Kissinger speak. did not write no. the op-ed. Henry Kissinger. How do we know? Has he denied it? No. That's a very good point. <laughs> so, but but they're not saying that he did, but mm-hmm. that maybe whoever wrote it was at the service and heard the word lodestar and thought <laughs> that's a word. Now, so now they've identified right. the Trumpers who were who snuck in or sort of were allowed in. The few, John Kelly was there. John Bolton was there. John Huntsman was there. Ivanka and Jared were there. I mean, the, the lodestar yeah, could the have lodestar. snuck in that way. Right? A lodestar is born, uh, as I saw in a headline <laughs> the other yesterday. I, I mean, I, I actually I tend to think that the use of the word lodestar is a red herring in in this case. Uh, the Carlos Lozado at the Washington Post uh, brought out all of the cliches, all the op-ed cliches that you see in poorly written yeah. op-eds that 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 uh, uh-huh. people just sort of throw in there, um, and. I, t- I tend to think that they they probably knew that there would be some sort of at least amateur analysis of the of of cadences and writing style and so forth, and so there there are these little um, you know saltings of of words that are right. meant to throw off the scent. I, I I can't help but think it was not Pence. Uh, it it seems that it probably was somebody fairly high up, but they're not going to say. I mean, is Dan Coats, the the nation's well, chief spy, going to really say like, yes, it was me? <laughs> Not for a few years, right? Until he writes his own, right? Right. Uh, okay, but so you're an editor of a major paper, Roll Call. If this piece came to you, and someone came to you with this, saying, "I I really feel mm-hmm. strongly about this, and I want to get it out there, but I can't have my name attached for obvious reasons," right? Would you accept that from anybody who was not? Like really, really a big deal, really a big name. It would because it it's identified yeah. as senior administration right. official, which is pretty loose. That's you a pretty know, a lot term. of people call right. themselves senior when they're really not. But right. I mean, uh, we talked about the kicked around this a little bit yesterday. Wouldn't you feel almost if you were the New York Times that this had to be written by somebody right. whose name everybody would recognize, or else you look like a sap, right? Because it, would you, you agree with that? I, I, I do, I do agree that. I mean, it would for me, it would the calculus <laughs> would be slightly, slightly different. Which, um, it would, it would be helpful if it was somebody in the cabinet or somebody high ranking, a national security advisor or so forth. But if it was somebody who actually did have a, a, a significant amount of influence, I mean, no, most people before Rob Porter landed in the news earlier this year, right. or Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, really didn't know what a staff secretary, you know, d- did or White House, you know, that in, in that. So if it was somebody like that, that would also somebody yeah, who has, right. like, you know, access to well, the Oval Office. They're certainly part influence. of the inner circle. They right. see the president every day. And they, right. yeah, they right. want, but they wouldn't be household names. So if, right. if it Got was it. somebody who <laughs> was, you know, had that sort of influence, then I, I would consider it. If it if if a senior administration means 
you know, some sort of assistant deputy deputy to the the assistant to the press secretary. Maybe not. You know, that 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 would because you are taking a risk. You're you're putting yourself. Um, you you open yourself up to questions as to, um, you know, why why grant anonymity here. You're, the people are going to find out eventually. We will find this out. You know, we found out Joe Klein was anonymous, yeah, you know, and right. with primary colors. It took a while, but still, these are all, I mean, they will find out. And then the questions will begin well, why did you grant, you know, anonymity to this person? Do you have a vendetta against the, against the president? Th- those, those sort of things. So it has to justify sort of the heat and the news value. Okay. So let's, with all this fun about who wrote it or who didn't or whatever. Um, we may get away from the central issue, which is it seems what this I want your reaction. What does this mean that we find out from this op-ed, assuming it's true, which I think most of us believe it is in terms of the chaos inside the White House, that there is a not just one, but there's a small group, three, four, five, six. We don't know of White House top white top White House staffers who are so concerned about the damage that Donald Trump could do, mm-hmm. that they feel it is their mission to thwart him at every stop. So it is kind of a shadow right White House. I mean, someone asked, I asked this question on the show yesterday, and someone asked the president yesterday, who's running the White House? Right. We don't know. Well, the, do we? The, one of the things Shouldn't that, struck- that concern everybody? I mean, this is not the way government's supposed to work. Well, I mean- the way government's supposed to work. I mean, who? I mean, it. it, it I think it shifts according to each uh, each occupant of the White House or a member of Congress and so forth. And the reality is, is, the government is way too big for any one person or a small circle of people to run it. And so you have to have people you trust. You have to have people who know what they're doing. And it doesn't sound like Trump has either one. I mean, th- there's a there's a there's a level of people that he doesn't trust. And and some of that would have that would have continued regardless of whether this had been published in the New York Times because he does keep a very close counsel, I mean, with, with, with in terms of people he trusts. Uh, and then the competence of a lot of people, I think, is is rightfully questioned, not just in this White House, but in every White House. You always have some duds. Yeah. You always have some people who's who are show horses rather than work horses. The thing that it struck me about the the editorial also was that it did seem to be, in, in some cases, a Republican true believer, because one of the things yes, in, yes. in there is what we love is we love the taxes. We love yeah. the judges. We oh, love yeah. the yeah. deregulation. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. is somebody this isn't some Democratic plant. You know, th- th- this is no. somebody who is a true blue Republican or true red Republican believer. And they they view it as, you know, their whether it's a he or she mission to uphold you know the their own oath to you know to the to the constitution i mean that that the cozying up to vladimir putin is not part of what anybody signs up for in in the in the in any government whether you're a republican or a democrat right and and the the areas where we have been told by michael wolf and by bob woodward that they have act, and, and to this op-ed too where they've actually stepped in include uh let's invade venezuela right oh we're not going to do that. Right. I mean, right. he says, let's do it. Right. Or, or let's assassinate Assad. Assassinate Assad, right? right? Uh, tariffs against uh, whomever. Everybody. Everybody. Like Canada. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> for instance. I mean, but they're, they're right. examples of real policy thing. Right. Nuking North Korea. Right. Right. Which... Um, Thank God somebody's there to save us from from, from these. Well, and things. and yeah, and and I also think that this, I mean, it, as as blockbuster as this was, and as interesting as Woodward's book is, um, that it, it doesn't come as a big surprise. I don't think to to anybody. The I mean, the, the you know Bob Corker was asked about it almost you know immediately with the 
yeah. uh, when when right. uh, he, when the Woodward book you know kind of hit, and he says, well, this is just confirms what we all knew, and and when we're kind of like grateful that there are some adults there. I mean, you know, it was a little more than a year ago that Corker you know described the White House as an adult, adult daycare, daycare center. Daycare center. Yeah. So this isn't like a, a lot of what is coming out of of the the op-ed and the and the Woodward book doesn't seem to be this isn't shaking democracy to the core as much as it's kind of confirming that we already knew which is that there are there are some adults in the room and these are people who like actually believe in their country and and believe in the ideals that they think serve it best not and they don't you know when you take an oath to the united states as a, as a civil service employee or as a member of congress or a police officer uh, you, you know you you pledge an oath to the constitution and its ideals and the country not to a person i mean and that, that's one of the things that i you know when when people start you know saying the word treason and so forth it's like well look at the constitution's definition of treat you know treason it's giving aid and comfort to the enemy um you know in in that instance, I mean, that, that this veers actually a lot closer to being upholding the oath of office than it does to treason. Right. But what does this, again, what does this say, what does it tell us as Americans that we've got a White House that's really torn and the people who, the, these are people he appointed. Right. He's, right. Ultimately, he's responsible for for he's, his staff. Yeah. You know, this is but, the, the, but, the so, White House staff again, of, of all people. I mean, they, they fired the, you know, the the chefs and the butlers and and the all that. I mean, they have control over the people who but, work in that. So building. these are people he appointed who are so worried about him right. that they they feel almost they have to send this alarm out to the American people, this warning that this guy is capable of doing a lot of damage and would have done more were it not for us, basically. So. What, what this happening inside yeah. the White House again? It's, it's my my question it's is stunning. We've why, never seen anything right. like this before, right? And and my question is why why does this thing come out now? It comes out right on the heels of the Woodward book. And granted, I mean it was probably in the works for a little while, but I, so um, my wife Fawn Johnson, you know, another, yes, another course, friend friend of the show. Uh, she she reads a lot of uh, espionage fiction, uh, John Le Carre, and uh, in, in particular. And this, to me, it's it's almost like um, a, a a signal flare from a defector who's ready to be lifted out of Berlin. <laughs> I mean, it, because you, as a as somebody who knows how the, the last year and a half has gone, they've got to know they're going to be found out. And maybe this is the like I'm I'm getting out of here. <laughs> this is my this is my you know attempt to be like I'm I'm done. Um, and and sort of. To, to send a signal to other people that it's it's I mean it, it sounds ridiculous but it's also we're in times that are just absolutely extraordinary I can't imagine why else this person would sort of have this signal or the, or this you know this wink you know if if you will to the to the public when again it didn't confirm anything people didn't know and all it did was you know rile up everybody uh, particularly among the, the president's most fervent supporters does it quicken the possibility of um 25th Amendment? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I look at the cabinet and I'm, who, who's I'm, going to I'm take guessing, the lead, yeah, right? Yeah. Who, who, who's and Mike the, Pence is not going to. Right. I mean, Stephen Mnuchin, Wilbur Ross. Um, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> Wilbur, oh, no, he did deny. It. I was just like, oh, <laughs> so, deny okay. he woke up. Wilbur <laughs> Ross woke up long enough. Like as if, as if anybody thought that he could actually write that. Oh, Stay awake long enough to put those words together. I, you know, the, the things. One of the things in fear that I, it, it also like 
kind of, I think, kind of wonderfully portrays too is just that everybody kind of has a motive for for having done this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the descriptions of of some of the cabinet meetings. You know, when when Trump is insulting Wilbur Ross, telling him that he doesn't trust him, that he's over the hill, that you know all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, why keep him around? You know, just because he's a he, he doesn't pose a threat to you. I mean, it, it's a it's a bizarre kind of vote of no confidence um, to to keep people around whom you don't really like or you don't trust. But that but that seems to happen a lot in the White House. Right. Uh, and remember, it is a one, two, three punch, uh, as I've been telling you. So the one punch is the uh, Robert uh, Bob Woodward book, uh, Fear. Uh, the second punch is the op-ed that we've been talking about. The third punch... At the resist, at the risk of a self shameless plug, is my new book, <laughs> Trump Must Go, the top one hundred reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him, which comes out next week. Uh, just enough to say, check out our website at billpressshow.com to find out more about it, uh, more about the reasons, building the case, building the case for getting rid of Donald Trump. And where you can get a copy and all that other uh, good stuff. This also comes out uh, next week as Wherever well. Wherever books are sold. Wherever <laughs> books are sold. That's it. <laughs> no, uh, exactly. But, you know, I was on the CNN with uh, some conservative the other day, and, and his response to Donald Trump's reaction to the Woodward book was, and we could say the same thing about the tweet where we started our conversation, why doesn't he just ignore it? He's incapable of not responding to any criticism right. whatsoever, right? It's I mean, it's that Roy Cohn, like if if somebody brushes you, you 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 hit hit him with a tractor. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it it's just it it seems to be just bread in the bone that that there's going to be a response. It's going to be an outsized response. You know, you, if you if somebody hits you with one fist, you hit him with two. I mean, it just it it's kind of um it it and it seems. You're right. I mean, like there's an either an in, inability or an unwillingness to ignore any slight, regardless of how small it is. And, and so much energy and time on his part. Um, Cameron Joseph was with us yesterday uh, from Talking Points Memo. He was on pool duty the day that the op-ed dropped, right? And that incredible... Uh, Appearance of Donald Trump in the East Room of the White House, just, where he just went on and on and went off the off the rails in front of everybody. Right, and you, and you could probably just hear the the doors slamming shut throughout the mansion. You know, th- of people huddling and trying to figure out, oh boy, this is going to consume a lot of our time <laughs> in the next few few days. I mean, this is just going to be this is all we're going to be doing for a while. Uh, um, do you believe that um, the New York Times has assigned the t- the news division has assigned any reporters to the um, opinion section to find out who the author is. I don't know about infil- infiltrating, but certainly anybody worth you know like their their salt is is trying to figure out who this is. I mean, we, you know, we 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 certainly but are, are the two divisions are, are of the paper are the two divisions of the paper independent enough that one could out the other. I I mean, I. I'm I've I haven't worked at the New York Times. I mean, but my you know the the people I do know there would I I think that they would be um, they would want to get that and they would argue they would press hard in the news division that if they found out you know who it was that they would want that scoop um, because again somebody's going to get it 
Why, why let the Post get it? Why let the Wall Street Journal get it? Why let NBC or Politico or Roll Call, uh, you know, get it? I mean, like that. That's um, no. and and it show it also shows that it, that it this is you know people think that newspapers are these really organized you know <laughs> things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not true. I mean, we're we're just like any other workplace with its dysfunctions and and trying and trying our best. And but that so, would be it's amazing enough that the New York Times would publish an anonymous op-ed right. by a senior <clears throat> administration official, but then for the news division of the New York Times to expose right. the anonymous author would be. Colossal. It yeah. Would be, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, and you know, the, Pulitzer Prize, right? And and some, you know, some of the the intrigue. I, I was we were, we we've you know, there's this parlor game of like who, who is it, right? And I mean, my my initial thought was it's it's John Bolton, you know, because he of of the people who are, you know, who are the, maybe the most likely people who are foreign policy people, you know, the kind of true Republican believers, mm-hmm. people who used to work in mm-hmm. the Bush administration, and so forth. Um, he seems like because he's he has sophisticated sort of relationships that with the media. I mean, you know, yes, he's this you know kind of Yosemite Sam type personality that we like to portray him in in cartoonish moments. But this is a pretty serious guy who knows the media. He knows how to use it. He was a member of the media, really, you know, extended mm-hmm, member of the, as, mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as a commentator. And I thought, you know, I, I bet it's Bolton, you know, and and he's also smart enough and a good enough writer that he can figure out how to cover his tracks. And then a, a colleague of mine um, who who covers intelligence, uh, you know, stuff. He he pointed something out which, <clears throat> excuse me, I was aware of but didn't hadn't really made hadn't really thought of too much that that he his money is on Dan Coats, and and part of that and when his I name of, comes up more yeah. and more. So yeah. and and part of it comes up <laughs> for a couple of reasons. So, you know, James Bennett, the editorial page editor at the New York Times, his brother is Michael Bennett, Colorado senator, Democrat. You know, they're they're the two Michael and, and James are also have extensive you know ex- experience ab- abroad. Um, you know, Michael was actually born you know in in uh, um, in, in the Far East in, in I can't remember if it was India or Pakistan at, at, at the time, but it, the I don't know the exact timing. But they're diplomats' kids too. And if Coates and, and the, this this colleague of mine again, this is not my theory. This is my colleague's theory. Is is that like if Coates had a comfortable enough relationship with Bennett to Michael Bennett to pass it through a, a back channel, which is kind of classic spy tradecraft, mm-hmm. right? You keep your, you keep a little bit of a distance, a little bit of plausible deniability, uh, and and channel it that way to James Bennett. I mean that that could make sense when you think about the fact that Coates, in addition to being a former senator with those relationships and also a former diplomat, and is now the, the country's top spy. That like this sort of this thing starts to come together a little bit, and Coates was also the ambassador to Germany, you know. So he wasn't, you know, and I mean, he was he was an ambassador of a of an important ally and knows how fragile some of these relationships could be. So I mean, there's that's a kind of a I think a very plausible, you know, uh, sort of sort of scenario. I hope I didn't just get Dan Coates and Michael Bennett into trouble uh, <laughs> necessarily, but you know, I mean, th- this it, it's it's interesting about. I mean, all of these things have probably been gone through in the New York Times newsroom, mm-hmm. um, and and also you never know. It could be the Washington bureau that uh, that they really wants to find out. It could be the people you know in at the news desk in New York. I mean, it, there are a million different. Scenarios where people get past information. Um, it could be somebody who knows who the identity is in the in the White House and maybe sees a way to take out a rival. I mean, it, yeah. there's all these like weird plausibilities that 
are I mean, because we're in crazy land. Yeah, <laughs> they all make sense. Crazy town, crazy, crazy town. Crazy town. We, um, but you know what? You're right. We will know sooner or later. Um, and I'm sure that whoever wrote this knows that sooner or later he or she will be exposed. And at that point, we'll no longer be working at the White House. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> One like, way or the other. We. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, it's not just the White House. There is another big show in town. And that's happening in the Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee, the hearings with uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Jordan Carney has been covering the uh, Kavanaugh hearings for The Hill. Joins us next here uh, with Jason Dick staying on as a, a friend of Bill and all of you staying on as well. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back and take a look at that circus rightfully called here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And here we are on a Friday, wrapping up on this Friday, September 7. So good to see you today. As we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the Labor's International Union of North America. Labor's International Union of North America. I, I'm sorry, L-I-U-N-A. Uh, that's a website, Lyuna Builds America, the leadership of uh, President Terry O'Sullivan. Check out their website, and we thank them for their good work and their support of the program. Uh, Jason Dick here from Roll Call as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. We're joined now by Jordan Carney from The Hill, uh, where she's been busy covering the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, which wrap up today, Jordan? Or is today the last day? Yeah, so yesterday was the last day that Kavanaugh was actually going to be taking questions before the committee. Today, they'll just be working their way through 28 witnesses. Right. So. Uh, witnesses split for and against, right? Both for and against, so they'll get all sides during this. Who's a big star? Uh, John Dean, obviously, from the Nixon administration. uh, What the hell does he have to say about, uh, and why is he relevant (laughs) at all or whatever? He can speak of two (laughs) abusive power issues, perhaps, that the (laughs) Democrats might want to highlight in in this situation. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Is that what he's expected to testify? Yeah. Well, yeah. can he, by the way, so is he there for on behalf of any organization or can he just show up? He was among the list of witnesses that Feinstein's office announced. Right. Um, yeah. Invited as a, as a, <clears throat> I guess as a reverse character witness, yeah. you might, you might call it. Um, and, and it's unclear to me that, um, that he knows Kavanaugh. I mean, who knows? This is a small place, right? I mean, John Dean has been either in New yeah. York or Washington yeah. for, for most of his professional career in life, Kavanaugh is a you know a lifer, you know in in the D.C. area and a circuit court judge for the last twelve years. So I mean, the, it, it's possible that they that they have come across mm-hmm. each other. They're both lawyers, uh, and you know that's a rare thing in Washington. Well, but, uh, well the, the, yeah, and the issue is one of the three that the Democrats in in in, in, in addition to as at least as, as I see it, healthcare, reproductive rights, mm-hmm. presidential powers has right. been sort yeah. of the third arm right. that they've been focusing on and trying to nail down Kavanaugh as to his thoughts mm-hmm. about whether the president is indeed uh, covered by the law or above the law. Trying he a has, little he, unsuccessfully, yeah. I was going, he has not been really clear on that, Jordan. No, has, they've uh, sort of repeatedly tried to get him to weigh in on subpoena powers or pardons or, um, yeah, subpoenas. And he has repeatedly said, you know, I, as a sitting justice, as a nominee, need to stay I think his phrase is three zip codes away from political questions. And so he declines to answer them. That's a pretty basic question, right? I mean, it shouldn't. But didn't he contradict himself at one point saying, 
nobody is above the law? And then he says, yeah, but I can't answer whether or not a president would have to answer a subpoena. So he was asked this uh, maybe amusing hypothetical by Ben Sass, who tried to get him to sort of weigh in if the president is above the law. And he said, let's say there's a president from the Purple Party who won't take a motorcade, gets drunk one night and hits someone. Could that president be sued? And he said, yeah. That doesn't protect the president from you know civil or criminal liability. The question is, do you do that while he is in office, or do you do that after he is out of office? Why is this a question? Well, I mean, I think even well, I mean, there's there's the there's the question of it's it, so Nixonian. Yeah, well, now well, I know well, why John Dean is there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, there's I mean, there's the question that we see before us every day, where when when we read tweets, when we when we see a president who is showing. You know that he has a certain amount of uh, contempt for, say, his own attorney general, and uh, in, in demeaning him, he inserts himself inserts himself into jury deliberations uh, of his during the trial of his former campaign manager. And so there's that there's that aspect, and then there's also again the 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 ever present history. Everybody is is a, it, to a certain degree is is beholden to history, and Brett Kavanaugh is no exception. I mean, he was one of Ken Starr's boys, yeah. you know, during right. the the Clinton impeachment. Uh, investigation. I mean, he he is he helped write the Star Report, uh, which is still still amazing reading <laughs> when 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 mm-hmm. you uh, mm-hmm. when you when you look at it. And and so that you know the the those things are are hanging over. And then we've got the Nixon stuff. So I mean, you really it's 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 almost you know not to go too overboard on the Southern stuff, Peter, but you know it's it is like a Faulkner kind of thing. Like the past isn't even past. It's it's still here, right? I mean, it's like still we're still dealing with it. Yeah. Hundred percent. At least you didn't say dumb Southerner. Um, <laughs> we didn't even bring boiled peanuts today. <laughs> I'm still upset about that. I was, I, you know, I, I'm waiting the my my weekly ration of boiled peanuts. All right, so the big uh, Jordan is like, what is going? What, what, is, ha- what is happening here? <laughs> I'll, I'll don't worry, Jordan. I, I don't know either. These, are, these guys. As long have, as I'm not alone. In these this. guys okay. have something going on here. I don't even want to know what it is. The big controversy yesterday is about the release of certain emails that were or were not yeah. prohibited from being released. Cory Booker says, "I don't give a damn. I'm going to release them anyway." And here is why. And I'm releasing it to expose that number one, the emails are being withheld from the public have nothing to do with national security. And then John Cornyn says, <laughs> oh, my God, you, how could you dare violate the law here? No senator deserves to sit on this committee or serve in the Senate, in my view, if they decide to be a law unto themselves and willingly flout the rules of the Senate and the determination of confidentiality and classification. People having trouble with words, big words this morning. <laughs> Uh, so anyhow, um, what was this all about, Jordan? I mean, <laughs> yeah. was this real or was this theater? So there was some theater, I would say, at the beginning of yesterday's hearing where Cory Booker came out and said, I'm warning you all. I'm going to release these documents. They're marked committee confidential. I don't care. I think he compared it to like his Spartacus moment. Oh, yeah. He said, yeah. this is my Spartacus yeah. moment. And so shortly there. Spartac- <laughs> Spartacus of Newark. <laughs> Between Cory Booker referred to himself as Spartacus, Donald Trump comparing himself to Abraham Lincoln. I mean, come on. Like, what yeah, a day yesterday. <laughs> what a, yeah. Chill out, guys. Yeah. Okay. So, so he released a, a first set of tr- tranche of documents 
document and said they're confidential. That's how his office played them. Uh, you very quickly had Bill Burke, the lawyer for President Bush, who was sorting through these documents. You had Judiciary Committee Republicans saying, actually, we clear these for release. And you knew that we clear these for release at you know three or four in the morning. So these were not actually committee confidential documents. Um, you had the same thing with Maisie Hirono, who tweeted out a couple of pages that were actually stamped committee confidential had already been released by the Judiciary Committee. At 2 o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, But then throughout the day, Cory Booker made good on his promise and released five subsequent, you know, sets Mm. of documents that were actually committee confidential. And the Judiciary Committee uh, weighed in and said, you know, you can tell he knows these these are sensitive because he made redactions in these documents that were not, you know, redactions from Burke. They were redactions that his office did on their own. Right. And did they show uh, reveal anything? Was or were there any uh, you know ticking time bombs here or any big? I mean, the I guess the big um, revelation from the emails yesterday. I don't even think it was from a Booker email. Was uh, Kavanaugh asking for a paragraph in an op-ed from someone else um, that he was sort of drafting and looking over that said, you know, Roe v. Wade is settled law. He said, hey, maybe we should delete that because I don't think all legal scholars agree or that Roe v. Wade is settled and Democrats immediately pounced on that. And he said a court, even if it's so-called settled law, a court could overturn it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Democrats were really hoping, you know, maybe this would be the abortion bombshell that might flip someone like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski. So, Jason, tell me if I'm wrong. So far... I mean, I've seen, you know, the, some tough questioning on the part of Kamala Harris and whether or not, you know, you had any conversation mm-hmm. about uh, the Mueller investigation and, and some other stuff. We've seen Cory Booker and others who zeroing in on this presidential power, particularly maybe Dianne Feinstein. I haven't seen anything that changed one vote. Have you? No, not at all. I mean, the... the Do you and, agree? And this, you know, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of the reality of it. I mean, you know, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski also voted for Kavanaugh confirmation to the D.C. Circuit Court in in 2006. Yeah. And I mean, so this, this is, I mean, this, uh, this, this peanut's boiled, Peter. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, this is going to happen. Uh, it, 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 it's a, it, there's a little bit of debate, you know, the, the committee can, uh, the, the Democrats can ask the committee to hold off on the vote for about a week or so. But the, the most likely scenario is that Brett Kavanaugh will be on the bench on the first Monday in October, uh, taking Justice Kennedy's, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy's space, and there, there's not a ton they can do, and it, and to me, there's a small moment that was kind of, it, it seemed to encapsulate a lot of the plight of some of the Democrats, which is when Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware, was was questioning Kavanaugh, and they've known each other for like. 40 years or something, or not 40 years, 20-some-odd 20, 20, 20 mm-hmm. years, almost 30 years, because they were both at Yale Law School at the same time. Kavanaugh, uh, even though Kavanaugh was a little younger than Coons, he, he graduated a couple of years before. But they, they had this sort of exchange of familiarity, and Coons even sort of said, like, you know, we've heard about how you're a great neighbor, and we've heard about the basketball coach thing and, and so forth, you know. And, and but it was, it obviously sort of, it, it almost sort of pained Coons because he, he wanted to pin him down on executive power, and but he wasn't, you know. He he knew that this where this is going, and he also is familiar with this guy. I mean, and and has has known him for a couple of decades now, and and I just found that just so kind of interesting that 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 sort of encapsulates it. That Brett Kavanaugh, in a, in a lot of ways, you know, he if Jeb Bush was president, he would have you know Kavanaugh would have been on any short list. If 
if, if Marco Rubio was president, he, Brett Kavanaugh would have been on any short list of the Supreme Court. I mean, it, it is, you know, the, the scars of the 2016 election are so prevalent and so there. And also the Merrick Garland situation is still so raw and with a lot of Democrats that just you can't but, can't get past it. But like Kavanaugh is a relatively, I mean, mainstream conservative, if that's a, you know, I, yeah. I hope, you know, that. That's about as he's about as like you know predictable as you could get. So Jordan, it seems to me that the Democrats knew going in that they didn't have the votes, and that their strategy was let's just maximize the opportunity any way we can to score points, either individually because I want to run for president in twenty twenty. You can't deny that, or collectively because to, to get the issues out that we believe are important and to let people know these are issues that we care about and we're fighting for. Um, they succeed. Do you think that was their strategy? And uh, I mean, they certainly weren't just going to roll over and play dead, right? They no, had to put yeah. up some kind of a, a fight. And and I, did they succeed? I think Democrat strategy, sort of from the beginning, is hoping they could build enough public opposition to Kavanaugh that it would sort of seep into the Senate and seep into you know Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins or Jeff Flake. You know, would maybe step out of line. Um. And they viewed the hearings as part of that strategy. Obviously, by the time we got to the hearings, it seems pretty clear. The question isn't, you know, can they actually sink Kavanaugh? It's how many Democrats are going to vote for Kavanaugh when he comes to the floor. So I feel like they thought this strategy was sort of their best chance to show the base in particular that they took this seriously, that they could be disruptive, that they could try to ask him hard questions because they've been coming under a lot of criticism from the left who feel like Chuck Schumer messed this up from the beginning. So. It, how so? Um, they've been I mean, in, in not fighting harder. Yeah, and not fighting harder and not getting uh, his caucus united in opposition. I mean, from the get go, which they felt like would have put more pressure on someone like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski and at least not getting the Democrats. We all are know are going to be no votes. Um, Tim Kaine is someone that I frequently get mentioned to who is still technically undecided. Dick Durbin, the number two Senate Democrat, we all know is going to vote no, still technically undecided. Um, and I think they're a little frustrated that Schumer hasn't cracked the whip on this nomination. To be able to, to be able to, could he though stand up and say all my Democrats are going to vote? No, he. he can't yeah, I, I was that. talking to Durbin about this. I guess it might have been yesterday, and he was like, "Groups who say that aren't in touch with the reality of the Senate. It's just right. not how this place works, and that's not how Schumer seems to work." So. Right, and and I think that when you there is the reality of like that that there are forty nine <laughs> Democrats, well, there are forty seven and two independents, yeah, right. and Angus King and. Uh, and, Bernie. and Bernie Sanders, yep. but the, the it doesn't hold together cohesively. It's not like the House, you know. There aren't, aren't you know, yeah. you, you yep. can't even, you know, on a procedural basis, you can't invoke martial law, you know, to to make things work the way you want. And Schumer also, you know, he was a former chairman of the campaign arm, uh, you know, and and he helped elect a lot of the people who are on this bubble of whether they're going to support Kavanaugh or not. Claire McCaskill, John Tester, everybody who's in cycle right now was a Schumer recruit back in mm -hmm. 2006. I mean, the, these are the people who made the majority for them in 2006. And, you know, North, the, the dynamics in North Dakota are actually a little different than they are even in Montana, even though they're, they're border one another. And, and, you know, John Tester is in much better shape as a, as a candidate, as a Democratic candidate, than Heidi Heitkamp is. And they're, they're not even separated by that much, yeah. you know, in, in, in terms of just distance and, and, the, and the fact that both states are heavily Republican. But just every state has a different vibe to it. Uh, you know, McCaskill, one of our um, uh, colleagues at Roll Call, Bridget Bowman, went to 
to Missouri a couple weeks ago, and and before McCaskill was on a conference call, and she just said, you know, the Supreme Court thing is just a loser for me politically. I mean, b- beside from just like whether it's right or wrong and the constitutional, yeah. uh, you know, advise and consent aspects of the of the Senate, half the people I talk to want me to vote against them. Half the people I've <laughs> talked to want me to vote for them. So what do I do? I mean, like that this is the you know this is the reality of somebody who is running in a heavily Republican state. Uh, the one thing that uh, certainly did work at the uh, Kavanaugh hearings is uh, whoever was uh, lining up the protesters did a great job uh, <laughs> getting the protesters in uh, to do their thing. And every five minutes, um, it seemed, there was a little inter- interruption, a little pause while they dragged somebody else somebody else out. I don't know whether it was all code pink that organized them. Uh, they were among those organized, but I knew MoveOn.org was there too. I don't know who was in I know. I was, I've been emailing back and forth with the co-director of Credo Action, uh, Josh Elson, and he, of I what? was of- uh, Credo Action, and I uh, asked, you know, did you guys release a statement? And he said, no, I was too busy getting arrested at the actual hearing. So, <laughs> so he was also there uh, but, doing his thing. So. No, but <laughs> I, I, I want to suggest that the what the Senate Judiciary Committee needs is they need somebody like Billy Long, uh, on oh yeah, on the, the auction to do the auction. So, <laughs> because in the House, when they had some disruptions uh, earlier this week by a protester who was actually standing up in support of Donald Trump's um, position on um, the internet and being biased or something against him, uh, but this protester didn't really get to be heard very much because Billy Long on the committee. He took over and he filled the time by doing what Billy Long does best. Congressman I'm Billy Long from Missouri. I'm at an end. 12 and a half, 15. 7 and a half, 20 dollars. 2 and a half, 5 and 7 and a half, 30. Yep, 30 dollars down here. 2 and a half, 5, 35, 7 and a half, 40. Yep, 40 dollars. 2 and a half, 5, 5, 45, 7 and a half, 50. Yep, 50 dollars down here. Two Officer, will you escort this young lady out? That's amazing. So the protester starts and then Billy Long just goes into his auction routine. Isn't that great? I don't even know what he said. I have no idea. I think I heard a boiled peanut in there somewhere. Definitely in there. I'm at an Get a Billy. Get a Billy. This is a, 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 a yeah, yeah. Of, of all the inflection points in American history, this one will stand out. <laughs> Maybe Billy Long wrote. The letter. Ooh. Maybe. <laughs> well, it, it, did, it didn't end with the words consarn it, so I don't think it was him. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you think Billy Long knows what Lodestar is or whatever? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing that tracks but, your car. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. OnStar. I just love that. I, I don't, but anyhow, he, he that was a very very creative way to fill the time for Billy Long, right? It's actually a little funny. There was a protester who was yelling and a Republican, you know, sort of said, you guys are aligned with Democrats. And they stood up and they got offended. And they were like, Senator Grassley, I'm offended. I called out Dick Durbin. We're not here with the Democrats. Like, as oh. they were getting drug out of the room. Oh, I see. <laughs> Let me know that there were some yeah. <laughs> some pro-Kavanaugh protesters, too. It, it is interesting, though. They're as they're arguably more upset with the Democrats, I, th- I think, a lot of the protesters, yeah. than, than they are with the Republicans. Because they're, they're, they're saying, yes. like, Republicans are just being Republicans. They're sticking up for their own team. But the Democrats are the ones who are kind of letting us down yeah. in, in, in this situation. The ones that I've talked to, uh, people are obviously over there the other day, yeah, they were much more upset about Chuck Schu- at Chuck yeah. Schumer mm-hmm. than they were at, uh, at Chuck Grassley. Right. Right. And, and I think that, yeah. you know, this, so, this is where the, well, you know, like, the way government works sort of collides with, like, the passions that it can kind of ignite. And... You know, again, like this is 
nothing is really going to change the de the you know the fact that Kavanaugh is going to be uh, confirmed. I mean, it, it, it's I mean, I, I I'm not trying to be fatalistic, but this is just kind of like this is this is a done deal. I want to uh, uh, one thing that I want to get in before we have to say goodbye here, which is there was another primary yesterday, yes. and we've seen some big surprises in primaries, uh, particularly on the progressive side, where. Uh, Andrew Gillum in Florida surprised the hell out of everybody. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Queens. Um, Ayanna Presley up in Massachusetts. Uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Ben Jealous in Maryland. And everybody thought this might happen in Delaware, too. Yesterday at the primary, Tom Carper, uh, the serious challenge from a young woman, Carrie Harris. Mm -hmm. um, and they thought, oh, this could be another big progressive victory. Didn't turn out that way. It didn't. And, and Thirty point advantage for Tom Carper. What happened? Uh, I mean, Jordan may may, may have you know her yeah. own thoughts also, but I mean, Carper is. I mean, he is this like very workmanlike yeah. you know type person. Everybody. I mean, Delaware is a small enough place where um, you know there are an, are so many connections that you make in the course of being a governor, a, a congressman, and a senator. And Carper and he's this, been all of those. He's been yeah. all of those. Delaware also has this weird, unique political culture where they actually like each other, strangely. Uh, and, and, and like, you know, Carper did, by all accounts, took it very seriously. And it uh, the results seem to show. Yeah, I know I saw some takes from last night maybe saying that she was tragically sort of underfunded against him if she was really going to mount. A, she a, got started late. Yeah, too. a fierce challenge and, against someone who, has, as Jason mentioned, is pretty well known and ingrained in that state. So. What I find, uh, my home state of Delaware, I know it well, uh, and know him well, I've not met her, but she did fit the profile of a younger, mm -hmm. progressive, military service, mm -hmm. lesbian, mm -hmm. um, and person of color, I'm not sure. And yes. Yeah. yeah, yes, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it looked like, you know, okay, this is going to mm -hmm. be the next one. Right. Uh, and she didn't make it, but she did. But the total number of votes... Statewide was less than a hundred thousand, about eighty-five thousand. That's right. what we're talking about. Wow. Still, still Delaware, got, <laughs> still Delaware, <laughs> still <She> small place. <laughs> she got thirty-five percent of the vote, and that's twenty-nine thousand votes. Right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Really not, it's, it's it's the it's, ta it's the tax yeah. haven state. You know, it's cozy. <laughs> <laughs> but those of us who still love it. Yes. Hey, Jason, great to see you, Jordan. Thanks for coming in. Have thanks a great so. weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. This is the Bill Press Show.